Anyway, we are in the uh, Gospel of Luke. Uh, thanks to Pastor James for swapping order with me, and he preached last week and preached uh, really well. And uh, thanks to Pastor Craig Rochelle, always filling in for us. Really appreciate his partnership with our church. Uh, we, we're going to go back. Last week we were in Luke 19, but we're going to go back to Luke 10 to a story that is one of the most famous uh, stories in the Bible, the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, once again, we may, you may have heard this story. I'm, I'm sure even non, a lot of non-Christians, non-church people would know this story. But this morning, as we share this story, I pray that you would hear the story afresh. And, and God's Word would be afresh in your soul this morning um, so that He would speak to you um, yeah, in a new way. In a new way. Let's read from Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 28. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it, he answered. He answered, love your Lord, love the Lord with your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now, this gives the context of the passage. Jesus was now thick into his ministry. And he's healing the sick. He's calming down storms. He's bringing dead people to life. And along the way, he's teaching. And what he's teaching is somewhat different to what the Jewish leaders are teaching. And this is ruffling the feathers of the Jewish leaders. So, then we find ourselves in this story. An expert of the law, a teacher of the law, a law uh, the law meaning the Mosaic law, the, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, comes to test Jesus. And that's really important for us to understand. That concept. He came to test Jesus. He actually didn't come to, to learn from Jesus. He didn't come to receive life from Jesus. He came to test Jesus. And he asked this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And another way to word the question is, how do I become right with God? And Jesus replies, what does the law say? What does your law say? And the expert, because he's an expert, proudly gives him the textbook answer, the great commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you get a gold star. Correct. Go. Do that, and you will live. Right? That could have been it. But, the teacher of the law decides to press in a little bit more and then asks a follow-up question. Verse 28, but he wanted to justify himself. He didn't ask Jesus because he wanted to know more. He wanted to ask Jesus another question to justify himself. And he asks this, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now, you've got to understand, right, the expert's not asking this because he actually wanted to know who his neighbor was. He's asking this because he wanted to justify himself, meaning he wanted Jesus to give him the answer to go, me, 
I'm the neighbor. I'm the good neighbor. I'm, I'm the righteous one. I'm the, you know, he wanted, he wanted Jesus to affirm his identity. Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus will now then answer this question, who is my neighbor, by telling them the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, before we go into the story of the Good Samaritan, let's remember this. This is not a real-life event. This didn't actually happen. And a lot lot of people, they just assume this actually happened, but it didn't. Jesus is using this story to answer the question, who is my neighbor? Okay? So there there, there actually isn't such a thing. There there wasn't a real good Samaritan. There wasn't a real person. This is the story Jesus is illustrating. So the point is this. You've got to understand the point of the story. Okay? That's the goal. Let's try to understand the point of the story. Okay? Here we go. And Jesus is telling this story to who? Remember who the audience of this story is. It's the Jewish leaders. Right? It's the people that he's teaching, uh, and, and they're getting riled up because it's not aligned with what, they're, uh, what they've been teaching. Right? Keep that in mind as we work out what the point of the story is. Now, let's read the story. Luke 10, 30 to 35. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. That's the story. Right. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very famous, actually infamous road. Uh, it, it was infamous because thieves would lie on the road and would rob passerbyers if they had the opportunity. Now, why does Jesus use that scene? Because everyone knew what the road was. He's using a, a story, he's using a context that people understand, right? And Sadly, for the man who's going down this road, he falls ill to the robbers who attack him, steal from him, and leave him for dead. Right? That's the beginning of the story. Right? Then what happens? Three different men then enter the scene. The first is a priest. Right? A priest would have been a priest in the temple of God. The modern-day equivalent would be a pastor of a church. This man, a religious man, a teacher of the law, a model citizen. And yet, when when the priest sees the half-dead man, decides to go on the other side of the street and keep walking. Second is a Levite. A modern-day equivalent of a Levite would be a worship leader or someone on the worship team. Someone involved in public ministry, Um, An example for others and usually better looking than the pastor. 
No comments. But the Levite also crosses over. The Levite also crosses over to the other side of the street and ignores the man who was lying there. Now, pause. Everyone knew who the priest was. Everyone knew who the Levite was. So it would have been shocking. It would have been disappointing. It would have been unexpected to hear that the priest and the Levite, there is a man that is dying, robbed and dying. And, and, and the expectation would have been that the priest and the Levite would have gone and helped the man, but they didn't. And so the crowd would be wondering, who's the hero in this? If it wasn't the priest and if it wasn't the Levite, who's going to be the one that helps the man? And then Jesus introduces the Samaritan. And there would have been that moment where it would have just been silent and shock. A Samaritan. Surely not a Samaritan. Now, who's a Samaritan? Samaritans were half-Jewish people. They were the children of Jewish people, God's people, the Israelites, when they went and had kids with neighboring enemy you know, countries. And the kids were the Samaritans. They were, uh, if we were to... Uh, contextualize it, they were the mudbloods of the Jewish world. You don't know what a mudblood is. I had to research that as well. Pure-bred Jews would look down on Samaritans because they were not pure lineage. Right? And yet, when Jesus tells a story, he says that it is the Samaritan that comes to the aid of the dying man. Not the priest, not the Levite, the Samaritan. And the audience would be in shock. Luke 10, 36, 37. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell to the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Who was the good neighbor? Who was the neighbor? The expert, he can't even say the word Samaritan. He can't even admit. He can't even say it out of his own mouth. It was a Samaritan. So he says, he says the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus says, you want to inherit the kingdom of God. You want to be right with God. Love God. Love your neighbor. Do what the Samaritan did for this man to others. And that's the story. This morning, I want to stop and ask you the same question. Who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? You know, we read this story and we go, yeah, be the Samaritan, you know. Do what the Samaritan did. Of course, you know, we look at the priest, we look at the Levite and we go, shame on you, you religious arrogant, you know, pompous, proud, you know, awful show. And yet when it comes to real life, you didn't do anything. Half dead man laying on the street, you didn't do anything. You know, I would never be like that. We would never be like that. But the reality is we are like that. 
We are like that. We're the Christians in this world, right? We're the ones that are shining the light of God in this world. And yet we are so quick to turn a blind eye. We are so quick to compromise our standards of integrity and truth. Like, I'm not saying this because I'm better than you. We're all in this together, right? This is the reality. We're all proud and we're all arrogant. There isn't a single person in this room that would tick and get the Old Testament gold star. You know, there are some people in our church... You come to church and you will walk past five people to go and say hello to your friend. You know, there are some people, you've been at this church before even Burwood, and there are people that you don't even know yet, still. Some of you, you hide in your life groups or your ministry teams and use that as an excuse to turn the blind eye towards others. Some of you, you tell me I'm a people person and I watch you during fellowship time and the only people that you are talking to is you, yourself, and I. That's your crowd. Do you want me to give you more examples? It's, it's cutting pretty close to heart, right? You know, we all know what Jesus is trying to say. But why is it so difficult for us? And I just want to address why. Okay? Because I think this is going to hopefully help us change. Number one, why is it so difficult for us to be the good neighbor? Because we care about what other people think too much. We worry about affiliation and other people's opinions more than what is right in front of us. I'm a priest. I'm a Levite. What would people say if they saw me tending to this man? They were more concerned about their image, their public image, rather than the dying man's needs. Jesus was very specific in this story of the, on the examples that he uses, a priest and a Levite, people that were respected, meant to be holy, people who were in public ministry. But once again, don't be foolish. Don't be proud. Don't look at them and think, how dare they? We're the same. We walk on the other side of the road. We move to a different part of the room. If I hang out with this person, what image will that portray to my friends and my family? If I engage myself in conversation with this person, what will other people think about me? We are so people conscious. We are so bothered and affected by what other people would say and think that we would rather walk on the other side of the road than engage what is in front of us. That's the first reason why it is so difficult for us to do what Jesus has asked us to do. Secondly, we are drawn to people like us, which means we aren't drawn to people who are different. If someone isn't like me, 
if, 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 if the person in front of me is different to me, I don't know how to relate. And automatically, my train of thought goes to what? Fear. If I don't know them, I can't, I, I can't connect. We become ignorant to the things that we don't know. And instead of trying to engage in that space and learn and educate ourselves, we choose indifference and we choose separation. Did you notice that Jesus gives us concrete descriptions of the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan? You know exactly who they are, the priest, the, the, the Levite, and the Samaritan. But what about the man that was beaten? What about the man that got beat up and robbed? What do we know about him? You know, all we know about him is that he was a man. We don't know his origin. We don't know his ethnicity. We don't know if he was a Jew or a Gentile. We don't know if he was rich or poor. Do you know why? Do you know why Jesus doesn't give us that detail? Because it doesn't matter. Hear this. It doesn't matter who it is in front of us, who it is in, who it is in need. We are called to help and be the neighbor. Too many times, the reason why we don't help and we don't choose to engage in being a neighbor is because we don't look at the person's needs, we look at their credentials. We look at their status. We look at their ethnicity. We look at their background. And if they're different to us, then we don't engage. If they're different to us, we don't understand. But Jesus makes it very clear in this story. Remember, it's a story. It's a story to illustrate a point. We don't know anything about the man that was beaten up. And the Samaritan goes and helps. Was it a Samaritan? We don't know. Was it a Jew? We don't know. But the point is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who it is that is in need. We are called to engage with that person. We've got to stop being drawn to just people like us, people we know, and we've got to learn to engage with people we don't. And it's okay for you and I, and, and I, I completely plead this, it's okay for you to say, I don't know who you are. I don't understand your situation. I, I, in my framework of my life, I, I cannot comprehend what you're going through. But you know what? You're bleeding. You're dying. And I feel like I can help you, so I'm going to help. It's okay. We don't have to be an expert. We don't have to be culturally sensitive. You just need to learn to be a neighbor. So that's the second reason why we struggle and the barrier we need to get over. The third reason why we struggle to be a neighbor is we calculate the costs. Jesus goes into so much detail on what the Samaritan did for the dying man. He sees the dying man. He, he took pity on the dying man. He went to the dying man. He bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. He put him on his own donkey. He took him to the hotel. He paid his own money to the innkeeper. 
We would say that the Samaritan went above and beyond to serve this man. The way that he loved and cared for the dying man, he went above and beyond. And it cost him. It cost him his time. It cost him his money, right? The problem with us is we are calculative. Everything we do, right, we calculate. You know, we do this unknowingly. Something that I realized that I do now, that I didn't do many years ago, is it doesn't matter where I'm going in my car, I will put it into Google Maps. Even if it's a place, like, you know, I go to my mom's house to drop the kids off once a week, twice a week, right? I know the road. No, most likely I could close my eyes and drive there. Not saying that I should, but I could, right? But I put it into Google Maps. Why? I want to know the fastest route. I want to know where there's traffic because there might not have been traffic last week, but there's traffic today, so I'm going to go to a different route. Why? We, everything we do, we calculate. Everything we do, we calculate. The problem is it's the same when it comes to helping. And it's the same when it comes to becoming a neighbor. We calculate. We calculate the cost of helping. We calculate the cost of what it means to be a neighbor. And bottom line is this. If it doesn't cost us, then we've got no problem doing it. But as soon as it costs us, then we don't. If helping someone... Out of your excess, got an extra hour? Yeah, no drama, I can help you. You know, helping someone financially? Oh, you know, i got my tax return, i got some extra bucks in my pocket, I can help you. No drama, we, we can do that. But when it starts to cost us our time, when it starts to cost us our energy, when it starts to cost us our finances, suddenly we're like, wait a minute, we become calculative. Suddenly it costs us, and then we don't. Suddenly we have to sacrifice something of mine to give to that person. Suddenly I'm going to be at a loss. Then it doesn't happen. You know, it's like that story within the chicken and the pig, right? I don't know why I keep talking of this story. It's a great story. You know, they, they try to make the bacon and egg McMuffin for the farmer, and, and the chicken just has to lay the egg. You know, whatever, it's just a laid egg. But the pig has to give up a, a limb, right? The sacrifice is different. Can I tell you, there are so many people that I know, they're like the chicken. They can help. They're happy to serve. They're happy to honor God. They're happy to worship God as long as it doesn't cost them. But as soon as it costs them something, they're out. As soon as it takes something of theirs, their, their time, their money, their position, they're out. And I understand. I also feel frustrated. The problem is, the, the problem is, and without looking at anyone, there's plenty of it in our room. Like we're not talking about the world. We're not, we're not even talking about non-Christian. Can I tell you, there are so many non-church, non-Christian people that are more generous than people in the church. 
The problem is, and that's fine, they can do whatever they do, but the problem is if we're following Jesus, and Jesus is the most generous being in the whole world, why are we so stingy? Why, why are we so afraid to sacrifice as if we're losing out? The problem is we calculate too much, and as soon as it costs, I'm out. For some of you, the sacrificial giving is, is, is not acceptable. There are so many concrete examples we can talk about. You know, the easiest one is our finances. Give your tithe, the Lord says. Right? And then you sit there and you look at your budget and you go, well, if I give my tithe and then I can't do this and then I can't do this and I can't do this. What do you, well, that's, that's up to you. Like, what, what decision do you want to make there? You know? Or your time. I, I would say, you know, we, we as a church, I think time-wise we're really good. You know, there's a working bee on in Saturday. Yeah, great. People can give up hours, you know. But you know what's funny? It's always the same people. And it's not always the people that have the most time, you know. But it's the people with the right heart. They just know, you know. Some people, if you're not getting a tax receipt or, or some kind of public acknowledgement, then there's no sacrifice. Too calculative. The cost is too high. And so we don't. Jesus asked the question, who is my neighbor? Right? And he's answering this. And his ultimate answer is this. It's you. You're the neighbor. It's not who is your neighbor that, you know, is going to help me. The story actually is you're the neighbor. You're meant to help. You're the one. You're meant to be the Samaritan. Regardless of affiliation, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of the cost, you go be the neighbor. It's not about looking for people to love, people to love you, people that are similar to you. It doesn't matter about the cost. We are called to be that neighbor. I want to finish with this question, but who's the story of, who, who's the hero of this story? Right? Who's the real hero of this story? Right? Remember, it's a story. It's not a live event, right? It's a story. If you take a moment and look at the story, and we've been looking at the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, who's the hero of the story? You know who it is? The hero is the actual storyteller. It's Jesus. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he loved us first. Our ability to love and to serve our neighbor, our ability, our desire to be the good neighbor to others only comes about because Jesus was the good neighbor to us first. Think about it. We were dead. You want to talk about who that man was that was, was beaten and stripped and left to die? That was us. That's you and me. 
That's the state that the world gives to us. That's our sinful nature. And then the, the religious people come by. And I think that's, in one sense, it's some symmetry, right? Religion doesn't save us. Rules don't save us. Institutions don't save us. It's the neighbor. And the best neighbor is Jesus. He's the one. He came and met us where we were. Literally, we're in our own spit and blood. And he came and met us. He came and poured oil and wine on us. He put us on his donkey. He took us to the hotel and said, take care of him. You want to know who the hero of the story is? It's the storyteller himself. It's Jesus. He paid the price. He paid the ultimate price for us. His life for ours. It's important for us to remember this because that will help us on then how we become good neighbours to others. We love only because he loved us first. It's not the other way around. We don't earn his love. You don't earn his love. You did nothing to earn his love. You did nothing to deserve it. He loved us first. And because he loved us and was a neighbor to us, we can go and be neighbors to others. I pray this morning, I pray this morning firstly that you would recognize that Jesus is the good neighbor. He's the hero. And secondly, as a recipient of that love and as a recipient of that grace, I pray that you would be able to share that grace and that you would be the good neighbor to whoever is in front, on the side, and in need. Let's pray.